0: Hey, 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 and welcome back to the podcast. Today we have a listener question to answer. So, in case you're new around here, every once in a while I'd love to take a real life, actual, practical question that you can send in to me either through email at support at nutritionforlittles.com or over on my DMs on Instagram. You can send in a listener question and let me know what is your question that you want broken down a little bit more in depth, and we will cover it here on the podcast. So go ahead and do that if you've got a burning question that you just want want to ask and you can't wait, go ahead and send it in. Like I said, to my email support at nutritionforlittles.com or DM me and uh, ask away. Just let me know you want this to be featured as a listener question and I will put it on the list. Today's listener question comes from Carrie and she says, my son isn't picky yet, but I'm figuring we'll get there soon. What can I do now to help prevent picky eating? Thanks so much. Oh, Carrie, this is such a great question. I think so many moms can probably relate to this or wishing that they could have gone back and like, okay, how could I have done things differently? And we want to relive it a hundred different times. So I think this is a really good question to break down. So let's hop in. All right. So first and foremost, I just want to clarify here that we can't prevent picky eating from happening. We can't prevent our little ones from being selective around food. We can't 100% prevent or guarantee that picky eating isn't going to strike at some point. What we can do is say, hey, when picky eating happens, or if it happens, here are the things within my control and here are the things without my control or outside of my purview of what I can actually control in my home. We're not in control of everything, right? We can't control some of the thoughts that our kids have. We can't control some of their genetics or anything along those lines, more biological or even motor development. Sometimes we're not able to control. We might be able to assist or come in and support, but we can't necessarily control it all. So there's a lot going on under the hood, under the surface that we just can't control. And on that same note, picky eating in general, happens to most children. I, th- I believe the last stat I saw was 80% of parents would say that their kid had a picky sage or are currently picky. And that's for a reason. There's actually a biological drive to our kids getting picky. And I know that so many of us right now are like, cursing biology and genetics like why are you making this so difficult for me but in reality that pickiness that pops up is usually around the toddlerhood age where they're toddling off and we don't want them to still be like babies where they're putting everything and anything in their mouth right to keep them safe so this was actually a way to keep them them and their own bodies safe as they got a little bit older keeping them from eating something poisonous or dangerous or maybe even a choking hazard I want to take a quick second and remind you of my free picky eating guide. If you haven't downloaded this guide yet, take a second and click the link in the show notes below and download your copy today. It's eight pages long and you'll learn the five pillars of parenting a picky eater that not only make this podcast make way more sense, but it will also help you jumpstart a more peaceful experience at the table. The best part is it's absolutely free and will be delivered directly to your inbox. All right, now back to the show. So, believe it or not, picky eating actually has its place and it's um, a real role that it's playing in keeping our children safe. There's also a side of picky eating that's coming from more an autonomy stage. Our kids are actually learning to say no, they're learning that their body is not their parents' body that they have domain over their body, what goes into their body, what comes on their body, what comes near their body, right? Like we start to see, especially in toddlerhood, pushback. They learn how to say no, they learn how to run away, they learn how to hit, kick, scream, do whatever they need to, to feel like they have that autonomy. So this is actually a good thing, right? We want autonomous children. We want children who are able to make their own decisions, think through things well, cope with their own emotions, be able to be aware of the situations around them. But we also know that toddlers aren't able to do that for themselves right off the bat right this is a process but it starts now and oftentimes that beginning of feeling autonomous comes out as picky eating they say no they push their food away they throw their food across the um, table or across the room they you know scream and yell and yell gross yucky i don't want that i want something else like they start to realize they have say. And not only that, they also have sway over their parents, right? They're able to say, I don't want this. I want mac and cheese. And sometimes they'll get mac and cheese. Sometimes they'll get to switch out their meal. Sometimes they get heard and they get listened to. And then they realize, oh my gosh, I get what I want when I ask for it. Now, We want that for our kids. We want them to learn how to do that. We also want to make sure that we are staying in our roles of responsibility, which you can actually scroll all the way back. I think it's episode two. I talk about the division of responsibility, and that's a really great episode if you haven't listened to it yet, talking about what our roles are at the table, how we can create that scaffolding to support our children, even though they're going through this like autonomous phase of learning to say no. Okay, so now that I feel like I have that disclaimer out there, or hopefully that mental shift for us as parents, that we can't avoid all these things, then let's hop into the things that we again can control. Now, I'm not sure how old Carrie's son is or how old your kids are that you're listening. But if we're catching them at the front end, like before they've started solids, there's actually some things that we can do right now to support them. So what that is, is making sure that we are trying to introduce these foods when they start solids around the six month age mark. Again, you can scroll back on the podcast. I talk about starting solids, the age range to do that. Some of the um, developmental features we want to be looking for before we start solids that are going to set them up for success. But in that, we also want to make sure that we are introducing a wide range of variety during what we call the flavor window time, which is between 6 and 18 months. So around these 6 to 18 months of age, we find that their flavor profile is being built out. And you can kind of think of it as like a bank, right? Like you're putting different flavors in the bank. And once they're a little bit older and able to start to build those brain connections between a flavor that they're familiar with and a a flavor that they're not familiar with, they're going to have a little bit of a bank. Now, not very big. And of course, this brain development takes time, even years, like we know (laughs) the memory for kids takes time, right? And so it's not going to be a perfect system, but the best thing we can do to set them up for success long-term with liking a variety of flavors, textures, colors, temperatures, all of the things is to introduce them between those ages of six and 18 months. Now, a few things to note with this. Some of you may have seen things out there that are like 100 foods before age one, right? And we might already get overwhelmed. Like, oh, that seems like so much. I'm not here to tell you to like track and tally and (laughs) make like charts and graphs and hang them on your fridge and become really obsessive about hitting this like 100 number, there is no perfect number. In fact, research doesn't necessarily support a specific number of foods to introduce. What I do want you to think about is adding variety slowly. It's not about hitting this big number, being really overwhelmed and stressing about it. That's not going to do anyone any good. In fact, that's going to make mealtimes more stressful, which for little ones, if they're stressed at the table, they're not going to enjoy eating. Like They're going to push back even more. So let's keep this a fun happy, uh, friendly environment with our family, a place of connection as best we can. And more so just focus on, like I said, all those different facets of flavor, different textures, different flavors, different types of foods, different colors, different temperatures, and really focus on doing that. A really great way to do this is just pick one to three new things each week to implement that you haven't fed your kid before, or it's been a while because we don't want just a hundred new foods. And then we wipe our hands and we're done. We actually want to repeat those foods that we're introducing. We don't want just one experience with each food. We want to have a repetitive nature so that our kid continues to get more and more familiar. You're building a relationship with this food. And just like you and your friend are friends because of multiple times interacting with each other. It's the same with your child and a food, believe it or not. And so it's really important to get in those rep competitions, but even just choosing one to three new foods each week is a really great place to start. On top of that, I would really aim for not serving the same food twice in two days, like back to back, meal on meal. Now, there could be a portion of the meal that you serve twice. Like, let's say you have a ton of leftover sweet potatoes. Um, You can go ahead and serve those sweet potatoes, but maybe you change up what they're served alongside them. Maybe one day it's grapes and the next day it's strawberries or something along those lines. So we're still keeping things different which actually leads me to my next tip. And that is the only thing that should stay the same is change. Let me say that again. The only thing that should stay the same is change. And what I mean by that is we want to stay out of food reps. We want to not keep ourselves stuck in every day we have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Every day we have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And this goes for kids. Infants, toddlers, all of the things. Even us as adults, we really do need variety to best serve our gut and our gut health, which then affects our mental health, our physical health, our immunity, all those sorts of things. So, variety is really key around food, which means we want to constantly be changing. Now, that doesn't mean we uproot everything and change everything every day. And today we're serving duck, and tomorrow we're serving beef, and Thursday it's turkey. We don't need to go so crazy with this, but even if we just change, the the flavors or the dip that it's served with or like i said the side dish it's served with maybe it's even something along the lines of how you cook it sometimes it's steamed sometimes it's roasted sometimes it's baked whatever that might be so just one tiny change every time we're serving foods is huge so we want that change to be consistent for our kids, they're always on their toes. There's always something new. They're always looking towards um, getting something different, because otherwise, it's really easy for our picky eaters to like settle in and they're like, no, 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 this is always the type of mac and cheese you buy. Why did you bring home this random kind after two years of the exact same brand of mac and cheese, right? It's easy to do that as parents. I understand that. I understand it's so much harder to try and change things up. But the best thing we can do for our kids is keep it changing all the time so that our little ones don't get stuck. Okay, let me know if you were late, but before I became a mom, I really pictured all my kids' toys being, like, monochromatic and beautiful and stern about the house, but I didn't mind because it kind of matched the decor. Little did I know that so many toys come into your home that are not your favorite. You know, the ones that overstimulate me with loud noises and flashing lights and movement and bright colors. And uh, yeah, I don't know if you're anything like me, but that stresses me out. And little did I know this, but that actually stresses our kids out too. So lucky for me, there are toys out on the market that are easier for kids to play with, more simple, more open-ended, and actually support their development and progress. And that is exactly why I have fallen in love with Love Every Toys. Okay, if you are new to Love Every, they are basically Montessori-inspired toys that are tailored for your child's specific age and stage of development. And what that means is these toys are going to best support where their brain development is right now and help them continue to progress and learn the skills that they need to know. I absolutely love that about them. Plus, these toys are quality and long-lasting. They're going to last you through multiple kids. And these are the toys in our home that my kids spend the most time playing with, truly and even when they're scattered amongst the house they look like they're part of the decor i'm telling you they are beautiful so i'm gonna go ahead and link their site below make sure to go check out their play kits what they have for your child in their stage you're not gonna regret this all right now back to the show And again, these can be super simple changes. So even noodle shape, something along those lines, the type of plate that they're served on, the type of silverware, where they're sitting at the table. It could be anything that you're changing just a little bit at a time. Squares versus rectangles versus triangles versus dino shapes or whatever when you're cutting their sandwiches. Anything can be a change for your little one to see. We don't need to stress about this. We don't need to obsess or worry. And uh, that is one of the biggest tips I can recommend. Okay, there are two more things that I would recommend to kind of quote unquote prevent picky eating. Number one is to stay calm. Whenever a what I call picky pop opportunity pops up, we want to stay calm, stay cool. We don't want to react. A lot of times picky eating gets worse because we are being reactive to them not eating broccoli, to them skipping a meal to them, you know, having not eaten a vegetable in a week, or whatever that might be, we then get reactive. And when we're feeling really reactive, and we want to be proactive, and we want to work towards something, we tend to reach for some of those more pressure techniques that I talk about all the time here on the podcast that can make pick eating worse. Because that's what we know. That's what we were raised with. That's what our friends are doing. That's what we think works, because maybe here or there, it has. And I have that in my story as well, that with my son, I tried pressure techniques, and they did work at first, but they ended us in a bigger hole when we started. And so I just want to reiterate that when these picky opportunities come up, our kids may be getting sick, they're teething, they're frustrated, they're not hungry, whatever the reason might be that they're rejecting a meal. We want to stay calm. We don't want to get reactive. This is no big deal. We look at their nutrition from like a high version of saying, okay, it's not about today. It's not about this meal. It really is about their nutrition over the course of like a week, a month, even a year. And we want to look at like the overall uh, nutrition that they're getting, not necessarily meals. So we want to avoid being reactive. That being said, we also want to make sure that we are being responsive. So reactive and responsive sound very similar. We think they might be similar, but reactive is very volatile. It's changing. It's grasping at straws. It's trying anything and everything to get them to eat what you want them to eat. Responsive is saying, hey, this is a dance and we're going to work together. And you took a few steps this way. So I'm going to take a few steps this way. And I'm going to guide you back to where we need to be to enjoy our mealtimes and get the nutrition we need. And the last tip that I have for you in this arena of trying to prevent picky eating or doing our best to put up barriers towards it is to eat with your kids. Really focus on family meals. Now you can even bring the baby into this. Like even if you have a tiny baby at home, six months old, and they're eating at a high chair, bring that high chair right up to the table, have them be part of the meal, enjoy their presence, giggle with them, laugh with them. But this goes for any age that we can really enjoy mealtimes together so not only with eating family meals together is this important for building connection and relationship but also having your little ones see you eating certain foods that you want them to eat is huge so having that experience together keeping food fun and connecting over it is really huge for helping our little ones uh, continue to build on their own ability to try new foods and enjoy meal times and learn how to use utensils and all these sorts of things is huge with having meals together as a family so those are all the tips I have for you today of course there's plenty of other ones and I do want to just point out if you have uh, maybe an older kid or you're listening to this and your kid is already picky and you feel like you've missed the boat, you feel like you've got it wrong, you feel like, oh my gosh, I wish I could go back and prevent picky eating and here I am dug in this hole and I don't know how to get out. All of these tips not only help in preventing picky eating, but reversing it as well. You are not too far gone. You are not too late. Every minute counts, and every meal is a new opportunity to try something new and to start kind of getting out of that picky eating hole and to feel more prepared and start walking towards a path of peaceful mealtimes. Of course, if you need any more support doing this, you can check out my Table Talk program. I'll make sure to link it in the description box below. That is a self-paced course that you can take at any time to teach you how to be the Feeding expert in your home because you know your child best. And no matter where you're at with picky eating, whether you're trying to prevent it, whether you're trying to reverse it, whether you are in the deepest, darkest hole of picky eating and you don't ever see a way to get out, or you're just kind of starting down that path and you're like, this isn't going great for me. I want to start reversing course now before I'm in that pit. Table Talk is for you. It teaches you all the strategies and methods to have in place to help with picky eating and finally kick it to the curb. So I hope you check that out. I hope this episode was helpful. For you. And Carrie, I hope you got all your questions answered, and we will catch up next week. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope you're walking away with some tangible ways to bring peace to your mealtimes. And if you like this episode, please subscribe and tell all your mom friends. And as always, the best compliment you can give me is leaving a rating and written review, which also helps other mamas like you find this podcast too. You can find more from me on Instagram at NutritionForLittles. Do you have a question you'd like me to answer on the podcast? Email me at alyssa at nutritionforlittles.com. All right, until next time, mamas.